Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 72. Glad to have you back on the program. Before we get started today, I'd like to remind everyone that you can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and like my YouTube page. You can also go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com, sign up for my email list and get a free ebook. It is Forgotten Founders in American History. You get the ebook and the audiobook read by yours truly. If you just sign up and give me your email address, I will send you some emails here and there. So I hope you don't mind. Uh, I know on, on Monday I send a bunch out. Normally I don't do that. Uh, but we were running a great special at LearnTrueHistory.com, and so I wanted people to get out there and grab that while they could because it was a, a deal too good to pass up, and dozens of you did. So it's it's great. Again, I thank you for that, and uh, you'll, you won't regret it. It's the best uh, educational website on the web itself. So uh, please do that. Also, if you like this uh, podcast, please share it around on social media. Tell your friends about it. It's the only way we're going to uh, boost listenership. So uh, if you do like the messages that I have and the information I talk about, then uh, do me a solid and pass this thing around. So, uh, okay, what I want to talk about today is uh, something that's been in the, in the news quite a bit or, you know, some, some current events. Uh, maybe you, it hasn't been in the news a lot where you are, but these are some things that, that really highlight this whole idea of think locally, act locally, and why it's important and also why it's effective. So I've done several podcasts on this issue, and it is my, uh, I, I mean, people are starting to look at it like my trademark, this Think Locally, Act Locally uh, uh, brand. But um, the reason I talk about it is because it's important for the future of America. It's important for the future of government in America. We've got a situation in the United States where we have a central authority that the Constitution really doesn't matter. Um, you know, we just saw that uh, President Trump decided to launch Tomahawk missiles into Syria without any congressional authorization whatsoever. Uh, we had uh, years before that, back in the early 90s, George H.W. Bush say, you know, I don't need, even need to give uh, Congress a courtesy call. We see the, uh, when engaging in military action, we see the Congress on a regular basis punt its constitutional authority and delegate powers that cannot delegate to the executive branch. Uh, we also see the Congress pass blatantly unconstitutional legislation, and no one even uh, utters a whisper or, or, you know, about this anymore that it's unconstitutional, it seems. I mean, there are some people in the Congress that do, and they say, well, wait a second here. You know, this, we can't do this. This is unconstitutional. Uh, but there's very few, and it used to be more. People used to actually discuss the Constitution in Congress no longer. Uh, so we have a Congress that's out of control, an executive branch is out of control, a judicial branch that um, invalidates uh, state law at will, which it should not be doing. This is how this is not how uh, John Marshall himself even said the 
federal judiciary would work when it was uh, being discussed during the ratification of the Constitution. So we've got an out-of-control central authority. We have Americans who are angry, and they're angry because they're not represented in Washington, D.C. We have a representative ratio that's over 700,000 to 1 for our elected officials in D.C. We've got a, a massive bureaucracy that's not elected that uh, passes regulations and enforces these things. Uh, and so we have a, a shadow government in D.C. Uh, and so if you look at the monstrosity of the issue, we have, we have people that think, you know, this is the only government we have. We need one-size-fits-all solutions for everything that goes on in America. Uh, this is the major problem with American government. It's too big. It can't function properly because no one can control this thing. Now, contrast that with the state and local level. At the state level, in some states, you have a representative ratio of a little over 1,000 to 1. The largest representative ratio of the states is in California, and that's a little over 300,000 to 1. So it's half of what you have in Washington, D.C. Most states are in that 30 to 40,000 to 1 range, which is exactly what the founding generation thought you needed for uh, good representative government. Overall, I mean, there were some states that said, you know, that's even too high, uh, and we don't have annual elections, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea was, well, if you have a general government for general purposes, you don't need a very low representative ratio because these people are just going to be doing general things. So even maybe thirty or 40,000 to 1 is too high. Maybe we need it to be 10,000 to 1, uh, which a lot of states have. Or uh, maybe if we get to a thirty to 40,000 to 1 ratio, Maybe we need to start talking about decentralizing the states even further. So these are questions that I think that I hope listeners to this podcast will start thinking about moving forward in the future. These are not just academic questions. These are questions that are important as we start talking about effective government. And we're going to have government, no matter you know, what, what uh, we do. We're, gonna, we're going to have some level of government. So uh, what type of government works best? Uh, how about input from the general population? What kind of representative ratio do we need? These type of things. Now, we also have a situation where, of course, the counter to this is that, yeah, you know, well, the states are always so corrupt. Uh, and you've, get, you've got nepotism in state government. You've got uh, people who uh, get into government and they hire all their friends and their cronies. And th this creates a, a situation where you've got a state government that's not responsive to the people. This is an argument that's often used. Well, you know, if you're local government, you got these, you got uh, Jim Bob and his brother Joe Bob, uh, and they run the city, and you can't do anything about it. So that's often an argument that's used against this idea that local and state government needs to be the most important government in America. It already is. I mean, people don't realize this. It already is. If all levels of government were to disappear tomorrow, uh, if you'd miss any of them, you would miss your state and your local governments first. Your local government, obviously, because uh, several of your services are often provided by local government. Your water, your sewer, your trash pickup, uh, you know, things of that nature. You, your trash would pile up for most people because they wouldn't know what to do without, uh, you know, uh, city-provided services like that. Then at the state level, uh, if you use public education, you would miss that. Of course, uh, also at your city level, you might have your fire protection or your police protection. You know, that, that's going to go away. Uh, so it, the federal government realistically has nothing to do with any of those things. Now, all of those services, of course, are tied into the federal cash cow 
um, which is problematic. They're all eating at the trough. So one of the things you'd have to do is break that dependency from your state and local governments on federal cash. But that said, all of those services are often provided by state and local government. The federal government is the one you would miss least. When it shuts down, no one even notices, unless you work for the federal government. Where I live, you've got a, you've got a massive military base, and so those people miss it when the federal government shuts down because they may not get their paycheck. But uh, that said, most people don't miss the federal government. It's shut down several times, and people are like, eh, no big deal. Uh, the federal government shut down, who even knows? Now, of course, the funny thing was, the last time the federal government shut down, they were trying to shut down sidewalks. Oh, you can't come in here on this sidewalk because this is this is the government shut down. What does that mean? Uh, you, you you're going to close a sidewalk? You can't you can't stand in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia because the government shut down. I mean, it was just ridiculous. This is just stupid. That's just the government being obnoxious. Uh, but you know anybody can walk on the sidewalk. And I think that the, uh, the state and local authorities should have said, you know what? That's in our state. Uh, and if people want to walk on that sidewalk, they can. I mean, if the government shut down in Washington, D.C., you're going to close off the whole city. You're going to barricade the streets. You can't get in. Uh, so this is, I mean, it's it's ridiculous, uh, that that move. But regardless of that, um, people miss would miss their state and local government first. So the question of corruption and can the state and local governments respond to corruption, I think has been answered conclusively and definitively, definitively yes, compared to the central authority. So let's talk about a tale of two different corruptions. Back in the 90s, the president of the United States, Bill Clinton, uh, was seen as a very corrupt individual, and that had to do with a moral scandal. Um, and so he was called before, and because this is a PG program, I won't get into the sordid details of any of these things that are going on. If you want to get into those with your kids, I know that kids listen to this program, and I know that parents listen with their kids. So if you'd like to discuss those things, but uh, Bill Clinton was doing some uh, immoral, improper things as uh, President of the United States. So the Republican Party went after Bill Clinton, and they, they uh, investigated. He had to go before a grand jury. Uh, he had to testify. And so it was found that uh, through all of that process that Bill Clinton had committed perjury. Now, perjury is a felony offense. You can be put in jail for five years for committing perjury. Uh, so that's a very serious offense, and under the original Constitution, under the definition of high crimes and misdemeanors, that would have fit the bill. So I think it's instructive to understand what the founding generation thought about impeachment and how it should be used. Of course, we dust this off all the time now. We say, well, these, this president uh, should be impeached, or that president shouldn't be impeached. Of course, in the last podcast, I said that virtually every president in the last hundred years should have been impeached. Uh, I think you can you can find countless examples for this. And, and I base that on what the founding generation said about impeachment and how it would be used. So let's look at what James Madison said. First of all, uh, before I get to Madison, when the Constitution was being debated in, in the Philadelphia Convention in 1787, terms like misbehavior were thrown around as grounds for impeachment. Misbehavior. Now, what does that mean? What is misbehavior? Um, so th the Constitution says 
uh, that the president can only be impeached for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So what did the founding generation think were high crimes and misdemeanors? Well, James Madison actually listed those things. He said incapacity, negligence, perfidy. Now, what is perfidy? That's a great old term. What does it mean? It means deceitfulness, untrustworthiness. That's perfidy. Peculation, which of course means uh, embezzlement, right? So you're, you're, you're stealing the public money. Uh, oppression and betraying his trust of foreign powers. So those were grounds for impeachment. Uh, Governor Morris thought that bribery and treachery and other corruption were sufficient grounds for impeachment. So those actually were uh, the charges that could be brought up against the president, according to these members of the founding generation, for impeachment. Perfidy is very important. Deceitfulness. So, Bill Clinton was then uh, found guilty of perjury, but yet he was not removed from office because supposedly that wasn't a high crime or misdemeanor. Now, we've had several presidents who have been deceitful, uh, that have done things that were obviously unconstitutional. That's abuse of power. Again, this was something that uh, was seen, <clears throat> seen as very dangerous by the founding generation. Abusing power, lying, taking public money, and abusing public money. So we have a, a, an executive in the United States government that's out of control, but yet it seems that we can do nothing about it. The president is elected, and they sit there for at least four years without any recourse. We've only had uh, two presidents impeached in American history, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. And Johnson was impeached basically in a, in a witch hunt to try to get rid of him. The Republican Party wanted him out of office, so uh, this was something they were going to do anyways. Uh, and thankfully, he was not convicted uh, and removed from office. But Clinton should have been convicted and removed from office. There's no, there's no question when you look at what the founding generation said would have been impeachable and the offenses. And then, of course, conviction should have come after that, should have followed. Clinton should have been removed from office without question. So we have presidents that abuse power, particularly during times of war. We've seen it over and over again. We've got presidents who lie. We saw it with the Obama administration. He lied over and over. He abused, abused his power over and over. Yet there was no articles of impeachment brought up against Barack Obama. The grounds were there. The, the, the charges could have been made. And yet Obama scathed, you know, sailed through eight years without any real problems, went through unscathed. I think you can already have one case against Donald Trump now in the way that he engaged the military in Syria. So there probably is going to be more as we move forward. So we've got presidents that abuse power and nothing's ever done about it. We've got congresses that abuse power, that misappropriate funds, that do all kinds of things, that are deceitful, and nothing's ever done about it. The same is not true at the state level. So just this week, we had the governor of Alabama resign from office. Why? Because for the first time, the first time in Alabama's history, the Alabama legislature investigated the governor. Now, the governor had been investigated before, but they were going to bring up charges of impeachment against the governor. And because the information was so, uh, so uh, 
precise in what they were going to do, and the charges were so accurate, Bentley decided to resign, rather than face a public embarrassment as these things were paraded around the state and what the state had, the information that it had, for impeaching the governor. And essentially the reason why he was impeached is because he was misusing state funds to cover up a moral scandal. His own campaign funds and also state funds. So the taxpayers were uh, paying to cover up Bentley's moral failings. So you couldn't trust him. Perfidy. And this guy was gone. He's now gone. We have a new governor in Alabama. So obviously, in Alabama, which has often been seen as a very corrupt state politically, it's a one-party state. Uh, you know, there's, It's hard to have an opposition in Alabama. Uh, it's been that way for a long time. Whether it was the Democrats, Republicans, Alabama has almost always been a one-party state. So you've got, but in this case, they went after their own. Also, the Speaker of the House in Alabama had to resign amid scandal, bribery, essentially. Uh, he was let go. And again, it's because of peculation. So there's another situation where Madison said the executive should go. But this case was the Speaker of the House, and he was gone. So here we have state government being more responsive than the federal government in getting rid of corruption, cleaning it up. Also in the state of Alabama, as, as uh, there were several cases of uh, you know, charges of corruption in a variety of uh, state institutions, the state passed very stringent ethics laws. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tough when you work for the state government. Uh, you have to uh, follow all kinds of rules because they want to make sure that no one's double or triple dipping. You know, you got two state jobs, for example. Uh, or you know you're making money uh, on the state, and then you got this consulting job on the side, and that you're, you're funneling money to your to your pals. There are all kinds of safeguards in Alabama now to prevent corruption. Doesn't always work, but the state responded to the people who said we don't want corrupt people in our government, and it works. So you've got the state being more responsive than the general government to corruption. And this is the case all over the United States. The governor of Illinois, uh, Blagovich, was uh, impeached and removed from office for selling a U.S. Senate seat. Uh, and a lot of people forget about that. But, you know, the guy went to jail. We actually have a former governor of Alabama in jail currently for, for corruption. Uh, so it works when, when you have the state level go after people for corruption, for abusing power, and these type of things, oftentimes it's going to work. There are countless examples of state officials who have been thrown in jail for corruption. The list is not very long at the federal level. And yet somehow we think that we have all this power at the federal level that uh, we can go out there and change the world by getting the general government to do something or X, Y, or Z. The fact is... The general government is the most corrupt institution in America, without question. People talk about corruption in business, corporations. Yeah, it's there. The most corrupt organization in America is the general government. The fraud, the corruption, the perfidy, the peculation, it's all there. But there's no recourse 
The people can't do anything about it other than, well, we're going to vote this guy out and put somebody else in. That hardly ever works even. Once you get into office in D.C., it's very hard to remove people. Uh, it just doesn't happen very often. And that's because of the money involved and how much money people can dump into campaigns. And even when they're bad people, uh, it's still hard to get rid of them. Not so at the state level. California, Gray Davis, Governor Gray Davis was recalled. Alan Schwarzenegger was put in office after that. We just had a recall in Wisconsin. It failed, but there was a recall. Scott Walker was recalled. Uh, so the people were having an input, whether you agree with the recall or not, they were trying to have input in their government and saying, you know, we don't like the governor. We're going to try to get rid of this guy. You can't do that in Washington, D.C., but you can at the state level. So my response to people saying, well, the states are so corrupt and, uh, you know, it's just all nepotism and uh, you got these people up there that, uh, that, that there's, no, there's no way to, to uh, take care of the problems in the, in the uh, state governments, that's baloney. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And not saying that the government's not corrupt at the state level. Of course it is at times. But it's easier to get rid of that corruption, to clean it up at the state level than it ever has been at the general level. There have been, uh, I want to think, I want to say there's a little over a dozen governors that have been impeached in the history of state government. Well over a dozen. You've got two presidents. Two. And it often works the state level. Not so at the federal, never worked at the federal level. And uh, th that, of course, goes all the way back to the, uh, to the early 19th century when impeachment lost its teeth. It actually wasn't in the case of a president, but it was in the case of a Supreme Court justice, Samuel Chase. When he wasn't convicted, he was impeached, but he, when he wasn't convicted for abusing his authority on the bench, and I mean blatantly abusing his authority, impeachment lost all its teeth. And that, of course, was a partisan move not to convict Samuel Chase. But after that point, the Supreme Court justices, which are removable by impeachment and conviction, now they can do whatever they want. They can go up and sit on the bench and uh, say that, you know, we don't really care about the Constitution. It's, uh, it's uh, the laws of the world that are more important. International law is more important than U.S. law. They can say things like this. They can make obviously partisan decisions on the bench, whether it's the Supreme Court or a federal court, and no one, no one can blink an eye at it because they're not going to get removed because impeachment lost all its teeth. This is why you have to work through the states. You have to think locally and act locally. The, the states do have all the power in this government. You just have to realize that, and the states have to realize that. The governors of the states are very powerful people, and so are the state legislatures. They've got a tremendous amount of authority if they would just use it. So when you go out and you vote, pay more attention to your state and local government. You should be voting in those elections more than federal elections every single day of the week. And I know that you know we have you have more frequent local elections. Oftentimes, you've got issues that are of, of you know vital importance, state and local issues, and people don't even know what they're doing when they go in there because they don't pay attention to it. The only thing people pay attention to is what the Congress is doing, what the president's doing. They should be paying attention to what your state capital is doing. And you've got good people in these state governments that want to make a difference. And it's easier to get elected to a state government than it is to the general government. Far easier. And usually you're going to know these people. 
Uh, they're going to be people from your community. And so you're going to have more input. Even the, the local government. You know, when you have your city government, your county government, people talk about how that's all corrupt and we got all these problems there. In my particular situation, my county representatives live, he lives next door to me. So uh, if I want to complain about what the county is doing, I just walk next door and say, hey, I don't like what's going on here. My city rep is a good friend of mine, or he was. He, he's no longer in office, but he was a good friend of mine. The mayor works at the bank downtown. And so if I want to go see the mayor, I just go to the bank where he works, and I go up there and say, you know what, Mr. Mayor, I don't like what's going on here, and he'll listen to me. So you've got more opportunities to uh, address concerns at the local level than you do at the state level even, and, gen and definitely at the federal level. And even in you know my little town, uh, there is, well, it's not a little town. It's a, you know, a good size uh, a city. Uh, you, you had a situation where there were all kinds of uh, uh, tension about race. Well, uh, the, uh, the mayor of, of, uh, of my city is African-American. And um, you had a, a situation where people thought that would never happen. In this, in this city. It would never happen. It happened. He's been elected and re-elected. So even at the, at the uh, uh, local level, where corruption is supposed to be so rampant and problematic, oftentimes you find the exact opposite. You still have corruption, and people still abuse funds, and they still spend money the wrong way, and they, they, you know, they plunder your pocket, your wallet, for things that you don't think they should spend it on. All that happens, but you have a much more a chance of a much more impact at your local and state level. If if you're a homeschooler, if you're in, if you're listening to this and you teach government at a at a private school or public school even, take your kids, take your students to your city government. You know, go into a council meeting, a city council meeting, go into a county council meeting, go to those things, watch what goes on there, get involved in state and local government. And that's actually leading to my second point, a big issue. Uh Glenn Jacobs, who is better known as Kane on the uh, WWE, which when I was growing up, it was WWF, but now it's WWE, is running for mayor of Knox County in Tennessee. Uh, and Glenn Jacobs is a, is a libertarian. In fact, he is a subscriber at Liberty Classroom or LearnTrueHistory.com. He, he, he is a member so you would be, if you subscribe at LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, History.com, you would be, you would have the chance, possibly, of coming across Glenn Jacobs on a forum, or uh, you would still be a member of the same site he's a member of. But he's running for mayor of Knox County. Now, this is actually very important. He's not running for a seat in the U.S. Congress. He's not running for a seat in the U.S. Senate. He's running for mayor. Now, why would that be? And I... And I when I, I, mean, I don't know if he listens to this podcast. I know that uh, we've corresponded once or twice. But why would that be? Why would that be that Glenn Jacobs would decide to run for mayor? Because he's thinking locally and acting locally. He's going to have a greater impact on the people around him running for mayor than he would for member of the House or the U.S. Senate. So it's instructive to think about that. Here is a guy who has a high profile. I mean, he's a famous guy, and he's running for mayor. We've seen this before. You know, Clint Eastwood was mayor at one time. Mayor has a lot of power. 
You can do a lot of things in your own community. You can clean up your own backyard. And so I've received, and again, I'm going to say this because I, oftentimes I get emails and I don't respond. It's not because I don't want to. It's just because I get so many and I can't. And you might get an email from me out of the blue, maybe two, three, four, five, six months after you wrote me, when I can finally get back and respond to everybody. You might get one. Uh, so send your emails. But I've had wonderful emails from people saying, you know what, I've got a sister who uh, is into local news, and um, she is, she's, she's doing these things, and this is what she's been doing for years. Or I, I, you know what, I listened to your podcast, and I decided to get involved <clears throat> in the uh, local uh, uh, school board. I decided to do that. Or, you know, I, I've been going to city council meetings for years, and I decided to go get involved in that. Uh, you know, or uh, I never thought about, you know, getting involved in local politics, but I'm going to start doing that now. I mean, these are great things. So do those things. Clean up your own backyard first. Start with your family, of course, first and foremost. That's important. Uh, make sure that your family is rock solid. That's your primary responsibility. But if you've got that down pretty well, and no one ever has it perfectly. You've always got things that you can improve on in your own family life. Everyone does. But if you got that down pretty well and your family's running pretty well, well, then think if you really want to be involved outside of that. Then start thinking locally. Go out there and look at your school board, your, your local government, and get involved in that. Ten people on the steps of the city hall can make a big difference. Ten people on the steps of the U.S. Capitol aren't going to make, mean squat. Nobody's going to care. But at your local courthouse, your local city hall, you're going to make a difference. So get out there and do those things. Glenn Jacobs is doing that. You can get rid of corruption in state and local government. We've seen that just this week in Alabama. Yet we've got corruption, rampant corruption at the federal level, and nothing can ever happen. Ever. I, I mean, I could almost guarantee you that we will never see a president impeached and removed from office. We should. But it will probably never happen unless the president actually goes out there and openly commits, I mean, uh, you know, something like, um, you know, murder or something. Now, of course, we've seen the president do that with drone strikes. But outside of that, I mean, even that's happened, right? U.S. citizens have been targeted in drone strikes and nothing ever happened without any due process. So uh, <laughs> this is problematic. But yet the president's never going to be removed from office. Guarantee it. And you're, you're rarely going to see it happen uh, for congressmen either. Um, you might uh, see every now and then someone resign, but it's, it's Supreme Court justices, federal judges, not going to be removed. At the state level, though, happens all the time. Local level happens a lot. So where do you have more power? That's the question I want you to think about in this podcast and that whole idea of think locally, act locally. Where do you have more power? If there was one thing I could get people to do, it would be to think locally, act locally on a regular basis because you have the ability and the authority proven this week to make changes in your, uh, in your local and state government. And if you decide to run, run at the state and local level. Change things there. Change things from the bottom up because top-down will never work. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.